0: This study is entitled, Do Christians Worship Jesus? Let me begin with these eight thought questions. Number one, is the communion an act of worship? Number two, what does Philippians 2 verse 10 mean? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. What is meant by the word bow? Number three, when Jesus said, There is none good but one, that is God. Was Jesus denying his divinity? Number four. When Cornelius tried to worship Peter, what did Peter say? Number five. Who was rebuked for trying to worship an angel? Number six. Is it wrong to pray directly to Jesus? Number seven. What does calling on the name of the Lord mean? Number eight. What are the psalms and songs? So think about those questions and look for the answers as we study this subject. Do Christians worship Jesus? This study is about whether Christians as individuals and the church as a group should worship Jesus. If Christians were asked, Do Christians and the church worship God? Most would probably answer, Yes, of course. But if Christians were asked, do Christians and the church worship Jesus? Some would answer either no or I don't know. Now, this present study will present the belief that Christians and the church should worship Jesus. The subject before us is really a question about the Godhead. The God of the Bible is not just one person. The God of the Bible is a trinity, the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, Therefore, In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diver- differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. There is the Spirit, the Lord Jesus, and God the Father. Second Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So in all of these passages, there is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes the word God can refer only to God the Father, but the word God can also encompass all three members of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For example, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Because the word God then can encompass all three members of the Godhead, when the New Testament requires the worship of God, it is at the very same time requiring the worship of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Worship to God cannot be limited only to the Father at the exclusion of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is God, he must be worshiped. Isaiah the prophet prophesied this in Matthew 1, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, given in the New Testament. If Jesus' name is Emmanuel, and if Emmanuel means God with us, then Jesus must be God. And if Jesus is God, and he is, then he must be worshiped. In Matthew 4, verse 8, the devil took Jesus up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him you shall serve. This is not a suggestion here. This is a command. Since Jesus is God, then it is commanded that Jesus be worshipped according to this. When Jesus was resurrected, you'll remember Thomas was not present when Jesus revealed himself to the other apostles. Thomas had been nicknamed Doubting Thomas because he didn't believe the reports about Jesus' resurrection. He said that he would not believe unless he put his fingers into the nail prints of Jesus' hands and thrust his arm into the side of Jesus where the spear had been. Now watch this in John 20, verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Thomas was never rebuked for talking like this to Jesus. Jesus is God. The Apostle Paul is especially vocal about the deity of Jesus. In Philippians 2 verse 5, he writes, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now what does this mean? The word robbery is better translated grasped, and the New American Standard Bible translates the verse like this, who, though Jesus existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. You see, Jesus existed in the form of God because he was God. He did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped onto and held onto at all cost. To illustrate, give a a little kid, a piece of candy, and then try to take it away. That little kid will fight you. He's going to grasp onto that candy and he's not going to give it up. Well, Jesus was not like that. He did not consider his equality with God as something to be grasped onto and never let go of. He was willing to give up his glory and his splendor and come to the earth and live and die like a man in order to save us. The point is, Jesus was God. Now, let's finish reading this passage in Philippians chapter 2. I'll start verse 5 again. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 10 says, Every knee should bow to Jesus. What does this mean? The word bow comes from a Greek verb, kampto. This is a Hebrew idiom that means worship. The word kampto is found only four times in the New Testament. We've already noticed one of those occurrences here in Philippians chapter 2, but let's look at the other occurrences. In Romans 11 verse 4, but what does the divine response say to to Elijah? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. To bow to Baal means to worship Baal. In Romans 14, verse 10, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians 2, verse 10, is also like this, a quotation from Isaiah 45, verse 23. And it means every knee should bow in worship to God. Remember two things here. First, we've already seen that the word Lord or God can include all three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have seen Philippians 2 verse 10 explicitly applies this prophecy of Isaiah 45 to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a prophecy about the Lord God, but it's applied to Jesus so here are two verses then, Philippians 2, verse 10, and Romans fourteen eleven, which command Christians and the church to worship Jesus. The final passage that uses the word bow or campto is Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, obviously this verb, campo, is a verb to worship, and we see that this command applies to the Lord Jesus. Jesus in Philippians 2 verse 10 and Romans 14 verse 11. There is another word translated worship in the New Testament. In Luke 24 verse 52, the disciples worshiped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Here's an example of disciples worshiping Jesus after he ascended into heaven. This word for worship is proskuneo, It's used 60 times in the New Testament, and it's often used in reference to Jesus. I wish to offer the following suggestions. First, it's a mistake to study about the worship of Jesus and limit oneself to studying only the word proscuneo. Obviously, other words also mean to worship as we have seen in the word bow or campto in Philippians 2.10 and Romans 14.11. Second, it's also a mistake to assume that the word proskuneo is never used in the imperative mood in reference to Jesus. The word proskuneo is actually used in the imperative mood—that's the command form—four times in the New Testament: in Hebrews one six, Revelation fourteen seven, Revelation nineteen ten, and Revelation twenty two nine. You'll notice that the very first imperative usage of this verb, proskuneo, is in reference to Jesus. In Hebrews 1, verse 6, when God again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship Jesus, proskuneo, Jesus. After quoting this command to worship Jesus, the scripture says, in Hebrews 1 verse 8, but to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Well, obviously, Jesus is God, and the church and Christians are required to worship him. Now, there's a passage which many claim denies the deity of Jesus. In Matthew 19, verse 16, Behold, one came to Jesus and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Well, it's believed by many that Jesus was rebuking this teacher of this uh, young man that came to him that jesus was supposedly denying he was god is that true no it's just the opposite in fact this man came to jesus and called him good in a very casual way and jesus used this occasion this man's statement to provoke thought in his thinking jesus is saying basically do you realize what you're saying when you call me good Do you realize there is no one good except one, that is God? And do you realize that by calling me good, you are calling me God? And so Jesus is using this word good in its absolute sense. There is no one who is absolutely good, absolutely perfect, except God. And if someone calls Jesus good, they are, in fact, calling him God. Because Jesus is God, he was worshipped as God when he came to the earth. In Matthew 2, verse 11, when the wise men came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Well, some people say, well, yes, uh, some men worship Jesus here, but these were ignorant men and they didn't know better, and Jesus was a baby and he couldn't stop these ignorant men from sinning and worshiping him. Perhaps. Well, let's go on and notice some other passages. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, Jesus did not rebuke this worshiper. When Cornelius tried to worship Peter, Peter rebuked him for trying to do that in Acts 10, verse 25 and 26. Peter coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. When the apostle John tried to worship an angel, the angel stopped him and rebuked him. In Revelation 22 verse 8, I John saw and heard these things and when I heard and saw, I fell down and worshipped before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. So you see, when the leper came in Matthew 8 and bowed down and worshiped Jesus, Jesus did not rebuke him like Peter rebuked Cornelius or like the angel rebuked John. Jesus accepted the worship because Jesus is God and worshiping God is the appropriate thing to do. In Matthew 9 and verse 18, While Jesus spoke these things, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him. Again, there's no rebuke from Jesus for this worship. In Matthew 14, verse 33, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Again, no rebuke from Jesus for this worship. Not only was Jesus worshipped, by his disciples while he was on the earth. But Jesus was worshipped after he returned to heaven. In Luke 24, verse 50, He led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God here the disciples worshiped jesus after he ascended into heaven notice carefully verse 51 he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and verse 52 says they worshiped him after he had ascended in 1 corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1 paul called to be an apostle of jesus christ through the will of god and sosthenes our brother to the church of god which is at corinth to those who are sanctified in christ jesus called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Notice carefully, those who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. To call on the name of the Lord is an Old Testament expression for worship. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, the Bible says, As for Seth, to whom also a son was born, and he named him Enosh, then men began to call on the name of the Lord. What this means is that men began to worship the Lord publicly and openly. H.C. Leupold, he's the man who wrote the comments in Barnes Notes commentary on the Old Testament, he wrote this, Since this calling out by the use of the name definitely implies public worship, We have here the first record of regular public worship. Private worship is presupposed as preceding. The great importance of public worship, both as a matter of personal necessity, as well as a matter of public confession, is beautifully set forth by this brief record. This act bears eloquent testimony to the courage of this group, who wanted to be known as such whose hope was placed only in Yahweh. It is not enough to say that Yahweh's religion began with Enoch. It began with Adam and developed into regular public worship in three generations. In Genesis 12, verse 8, Abram moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Notice first the altar that was built. What do men do at altars? Well, they worship. Abram was worshiping the Lord when he called on the name of the Lord. In Genesis 26, verse 23, then Isaac went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. And so he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. So, in conclusion, calling on the name of the Lord means to worship the Lord. And therefore, in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, when Paul writes to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, the church of Christ in the Bible worship jesus they call on the name of jesus the lord in worship in john 5 verse 23 jesus said all should honor the son just as they honor the father he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him now if we do not worship jesus we are sinning because he must be honored just as the father is honored We must give him the same honor as we give the Father. One way the church worships Jesus is by singing to him. In Ephesians 5 verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We are to sing to the Lord, and when we do this, we are worshiping Jesus. Think of the songs that we sing Brother Linwood wrote this song, which we often sing. It's entitled, We Believe, and the words in the lyrics are this. Again, O precious Savior, in memory we have met, for naught of life could tempt our heart thy love to e'er forget. T'was long ago, dear Savior, the debt was paid for sin, yet now, O Savior, we believe thy love's as pure as then. We cannot touch thy body, so mangled, torn, and scarred, Yet we believe and worship thee, who for our sin was marred. Our eyes cannot behold thee as we commune today. Yet uh, we have not seen, yet we believe that thou art here today. See, Brother Linwood uh, believed the church does worship Jesus, and that's right. When the Lord's Supper is observed, we're worshiping Jesus by doing that. The Lord's Supper is an act of worship. It is scripturally done only in the assembly of the church. We can't do this privately outside of the church assembly. When it is observed, our minds are to be focused on Jesus and what Jesus did for us. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Some deny that we're worshiping Jesus when we commune. But this seems illogical for several reasons. First, the church is commanded to worship Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. Second, communion is an item of worship. And third, it focuses specifically upon Jesus. The Lord's Supper is more than a memorial, it is worship to the Lord. Finally, if Jesus is God and should be worshiped, can Christians pray directly to Jesus? Prayer is certainly an act of worship. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 6, the governors and satraps thronged before the king and said, Thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, praying to Darius was tantamount to worshiping the emperor, and Daniel refused to do this. So, prayer is an act of worship, and we're asking the question, can a Christian pray to Jesus? Well, many brethren say, no, you can't pray directly to Jesus. This is wrong. When they say you can't, it's wrong. That sounds like they're saying that it's sinful. Is that right? Let me illustrate what happened uh, to a sister in the church. Brother Doug Edwards told me about his grandmother. She died of lockjaw. She was in the hospital. She was on the verge of death, and she was in great agony. And as she was in her bed dying, she was crying out, help me, Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, help me. She said that through her clenched teeth, oh help me, Lord Jesus. Was she wrong for doing this? Is it wrong to pray to Jesus like this? I don't believe the grandmother sinned when she prayed to the Lord Jesus directly. I don't believe a a Christian should say to this old woman, now granny, you shouldn't talk like that. I was having a conversation with a brother who thinks it's wrong to pray to Jesus directly. He said, I've never heard anyone in the church pray to Jesus my entire lifetime. And I said, yes, you have. You just don't realize it. And then I reminded him about the old song that we sing, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. In that song that the church has sung all of my life, we sing, My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be wholly thine. Now, if it's wrong to pray to Jesus, we're going to have to stop singing a lot of our old songs that we've been singing for years and years. But what are psalms? Psalms are prayers put to music. In fact, many of the psalms in the Bible are explicitly called prayers. In Psalm 102, verse 25, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years have no end. Now, first I point out that this psalm is a song sung directly to the messiah i know that because of hebrews 1 verse 10 there the writer of the of the new testament book says you o lord in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they all grow old like a garment like a cloak you will fold them up and they will be changed but you are the same and your years will not fail here The New Testament is applying Psalm 102 directly to the Lord Jesus. So Psalm 102 is a psalm of praise to the Lord Jesus. Now, the second thing I want to point out is that Psalm 102 is called a prayer. In Psalm 102, verse 1, the heading says, "...a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord." Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Now get out of concordance and look up the word prayer, and notice how often the Psalms are called prayers. So when we sing to the Lord, we're praying to the Lord. Consider the words of this old song, More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended This is my earnest plea, more love, O Christ, to thee, more love to thee, more love to thee. Again, look at the words of this old song. My Jesus, I love thee. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior, art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. One brother was arguing with me saying Christians could not pray directly to Jesus. And I asked him about this song. I asked him if Christians could sing this song, My Jesus, I Love Thee. And he said, yes, Christians can sing this song. And so I said, well, could a Christian stop singing this and just say the words? Would that be sinful? Would it be sinful just to say the words? And the brother replied, maybe now i admit we can't just stop singing all of our songs and just speak the words god wants singing ephesians 5:19 and neither can we have women speaking in the assembly of the church 1 corinthians 14:34 and 35 forbids that so women can't just speak the words of a song in an assembly but my question involves the wording of this song the content of the words And my argument is this. If these words are inappropriate to speak, then they're also inappropriate to sing. But if they are appropriate to sing, they are also appropriate to say in a prayer. Brother Linwood Smith himself wrote the words to the following song published in his songbook, Glory Gates. The title of the song is Only a Prayer Away. And here's the first stanza. Oh, my friend, are you weary and filled with despair? Is there nothing that brightens your day? Jesus tenderly waits. He now offers his care. He is only a prayer away. He's only a prayer away. He's only a prayer away. Let him come and relieve you with his tender touch. The third stanza. Just a prayer when I need him will carry me through. Just a prayer when I'm tempted to stray. Jesus promised to hear me, he'll answer me too, he's only a prayer away. He's only a prayer away, he's only a prayer away, let him come and relieve you with his tender touch. Well, obviously, Brother Linwood believed men could pray to Jesus, or he would not have written the words of that song. A brother argued with me, and he said, if we're having a direct two-way conversation with Jesus, then it's permissible to speak directly to Jesus. But if that doesn't happen, we can't speak directly to Jesus. And therefore, Christians cannot pray directly to Jesus. Now, I'm not sure where this rule of interpretation came from, but let's examine this rule. Are there passages where disciples prayed directly to the Lord, without being involved in a two-way conversation with the Lord? Yes, there are. In Acts chapter 1, verse 24, the 11 apostles prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Here, the apostles are praying to Jesus directly. Jesus chose the original apostles, and they're now praying for him to choose a replacement for Judas. And there's no two-way conversation going on here. There's no indication that these apostles did anything inappropriate by praying directly to the Lord Jesus. In Acts 7, verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. There's, you'll notice no two-way conversation going on here. There's no indication that Stephen sinned here in his last moments on the earth when he prayed directly to the Lord Jesus. In Second Corinthians 12 and verse 7, Paul writes, lest I should be exmeasured by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul prayed here, you see, to the Lord three times for help, just like Doug's grandmother was praying for help on her deathbed when she had lockjaw. Three times he prayed. The first two times the Lord said nothing. Only after the third prayer did the Lord respond back and speak to Paul. So there was no two-way conversation going on, at least the first two times. And the third time, as far as that goes, when Paul initiated the third prayer. There are other passages in John 14, verse 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The new American standard Bible translates this. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Other translations agree with that. The new international version, the English standard version, the new revised standard version, the, and, um, And other versions, the the Net Bible agrees with this translation. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Many Christians believe Jesus was here speaking about the future after he would have died and ascended back into heaven. And I believe that. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come! Here's the apostle praying to the Lord, O Lord, come. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And so here's Paul saying, I thank the Lord. How do you do that without speaking to the Lord directly? In Revelation 5 verse 8, now when he had taken the scroll, this is the Lamb of God, When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Here are the prayers of the saints, symbolized as censers filled with incense, These prayers are being offered to the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's ask this question. What about the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in verse 9 when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray? Didn't Jesus there teach disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven? Doesn't this restrict us from praying to Jesus directly? Well, we need to be careful and not make the same mistake that the Baptist makes concerning John 3.16. When the Baptist reads John 3.16, he sees believing in Jesus, but he doesn't see anything about baptism in that verse. And he concludes then that believing without baptism saves the sinner. Well, what do we tell this Baptist? We tell him that John 3.16 is not the only verse in all of the Bible. It's not the whole story about salvation in that one verse. Belief is, indeed, necessary for salvation, but other passages also teach that baptism is necessary. Acts 2.38, for an example. Well, in the same way, Matthew six nine teaches us to pray to the Father. But this is not the only verse in all of the Bible about prayer. There are other verses, which we have already noticed just a few moments ago, of people praying to Jesus. Also, Matthew 6 in verse 9 was taught by the Lord before what Jesus said in John fourteen fourteen. if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So, in conclusion, do Christians worship Jesus? Does the Church of Christ worship Jesus? absolutely. In fact, if we do not worship Jesus, we cannot scripturally claim to be the church of Christ. In John 5 and verse 23, remember that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him.